that brings down anxiety. A good blueprint ought to result in more centeredness, more calmness, less anxiety, less questions about the future, less questions about what to do and what not to do. Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, where people that are writing stories worth telling share their knowledge, wisdom, and perspective to help you go further, faster as you move to your better life. Over to your hosts, Dave Ness and Rob Alkema. Welcome to the Real Better Life podcast, episode number 19. And today the topic is having a template or a blueprint for your business. We're going to talk about why it's important to have a blueprint. We're going to talk about what a good blueprint contains, what are the components of a good blueprint, an effective blueprint. And then we're also going to unpack for you Thrive's blueprint for somebody's long-term career here. And then lastly, we're going to talk about how to take whatever blueprint you're using, whether you crafted it yourself or you're leveraging one that already exists, and how to individualize that or customize that to your long-term vision for your career as you build the kind of career that's going to support your better life. And so with that, let's get into today's episode. So business thesis. The business thesis. The first episode of 2024, by the way. Dude, how about that? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hey, cheers. Cheers. Right on. So why are we talking about business thesis today? Well, yeah. So the business thesis or blueprint, roadmap, template, all the different names. These are all such good words. (laughs) All right. I like all of them. Get them all written down here. That's the topic of today. And the reason I think we're talking about this at the beginning of the year here is because the real estate industry, which we're in, is not known for providing or establishing or helping agents even discover what their blueprint is or what a possible template, roadmap, whatever you want to call it, is. Now, this is different from a business plan. Yeah, great distinction. Yeah, to establish the distinction early on, I think is important because most people are going to hear this and go, oh, right, business plan. But business plan is really more for achieving goals over a particular period of time, usually a year, sometimes shorter, sometimes a little bit longer. But business plans are distinct and different from what we're going to call a blueprint, being that the blueprint is kind of the thesis about how over a long period of time you're going to arrive where you want to arrive. Yeah. Yeah. If I think about like when I punch into Google Maps, what my destination is, it draws me this blue line. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's how long it's going to take me to get there. That's the distance. Now I know what the path is, but that's very different from when I hit start Mm. to navigate. And then it gives me the step-by-step directions. It's like those step-by-step directions are more like your business plan. Yeah. This is what you actually have to do to get to your destination, Mm -hmm. where that high-level overview with the blue line that just shows you how much time it's going to take, that's more equivalent to like your blueprint. The blueprint. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like this is where you're going to end up if all goes to plan. Yeah. Very now and then. Very high-level where the blueprint is more detailed and granular and day-to-day, more actionable. I think there's probably a propensity for agents, which we call advisors, to think to themselves, well, that's really more for the brokerage. That's really more for the business. That's really more for the actual company. Right. Rather than realizing and discovering for themselves, this is actually going to take, this meaning my career, Mm -hmm. is going to take a blueprint. And if I have a blueprint, it establishes clarity as to where I'm going, when I'm probably going to get there, like your Google Maps analogy, What does it look like? How will I know as I pass through and pass by certain milestones? What's it supposed to look like? What's it supposed to feel like? Knowing where you are in any given industry or in any given venture, 
is really, really critical. In fact, for the listeners that are Jocko Willink fans, in his book, I think it was Extreme Ownership. It was either that or one of the other ones. But the concept is he would claim and say that one of the most important things to know on the battlefield is where you are. Because if you don't know where you are, then you can't communicate to your team. They can't communicate to you about what the next best strategy is because they have no idea where you are and you don't know where you are either. And so knowing where you are, Mm -hmm. or as my buddy Brian likes to say, knowing when you are (laughs) in space and time, like when are you, where are you in the blueprint is really critical. And without a blueprint, you can't know. And so I think that's the passion that we've got around this is just establishing clarity and reinforcing clarity is rocket fuel to a real estate agent and to brokerages. Yeah. And being able to say, yeah, this is our thesis. This is our way. In our context, of course, we call this the Thrive Way. This is what we administer and what everything else is born out of is in our world what, what we call the RISE program. Yep. Yeah, and I like I like systems because before I ever got into sales, I had a background in science and science is obviously very systematic. And I like the simplicity. It was very appealing to me going into sales and realizing, oh, there was a blueprint in place. Like if I do A, B, and C, I should get X, Y, and Z, Mm -hmm. right? Like there were predictable inputs, which produced predictable outputs. And while I had no idea what I was doing and I was embarking on this new journey and there were a lot of unknowns, that gave me a lot of confidence to know that other people had already mapped out, this is what success looks like and here's how you get there. Yeah. Right. And just like sticking with the Jocko analogy, every mission in the military has a definite starting point and a definite end point. Yes. Right. And so when you talk about like where you are at any given point, it's within the context of the start and the finish. Yes. Right? So a real estate career, albeit it's over a longer time period, is not that different from a mission in the military. Yeah. Right. In terms of what you're ultimately trying to accomplish. Yeah. And the clarity that you need in order to accomplish That's it. exactly right. It's huge. Yeah. Yep. It's big. So talk a little bit about while we were prepping for the episode, you talked about this, the implications of having a blueprint or not having a blueprint in place. Yeah. Yeah, I think on the negative side of not having a blueprint in place is at best, you will end up achieving unintentional success Mm -hmm. or haphazard success. Yeah, accidental success. Accidental success, yeah. Which some people might listen to and go, well, as long as it is success, who cares? But the problem is that we've all been to the end of a year whether it was in real estate or whether it was in a sport or you know some other industry. Mm-hmm. And we've experienced success, but we had no idea why. Right. It's funny. You're going to love this. This will put a smile on your face. That's a perfectly fine perspective if success is just determined by what you and you alone accomplish. Yeah, then it's whimsical. But if we hearken back to your and my beginnings in sales, it's a different question. When you have success as an individual performer and then somebody asks you, hey, that's great, but who saw you do that? Yeah, who'd you bring with you? That's right. And so pretty quickly you get out of this, you prove to yourself that you can go accomplish results and then the focus becomes, how do I bring other people with me along this path to success? Yeah. And to be able to bring other people along with you, you need to have intentional success. You need to be able to share with somebody like, hey, here's how you can do the same things that I was able to do. So you actually, when you got into residential real estate, you were with some brokerages that, didn't have a great blueprint in place and you had to establish that for yourselves. Can you talk about that for a second? I would have loved to have a shitty blueprint. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't have a blueprint at all. (laughs) So so good. Yeah, a crappy blueprint would have been a godsend (laughs) because there wasn't one. It was really just the attitude of like, yeah, you know, sign here and uh, 
take some of our onboarding courses and here's some materials and some logins to some CRMs and yeah, just rock and roll. See at the at the sales meeting. <laughs> uh, it was just like, yeah, it's pathetic. And yeah, I was at five different brokerages. I won't name them, but you all know who they are. And so it was very disorienting at best yeah. to join and go, all right, well, I, so do I turn left here? Do I turn right? Do I speed up? Do I slow down? Yeah. I, I have no idea. I don't know. I'm just going to make it up and hopefully it works. And that's right. If it doesn't work, I'll pivot. And so for entrepreneurs and A-types, the people that get after it, can you experience success and can you experience traction and forward momentum without a blueprint? Yes. However, if we're talking about working smart and actually getting further faster and bending time and mm-hmm. standing on the shoulders of giants and all the other you know, sayings yeah. that you could think of, it definitely behooves us to have a blueprint, have a roadmap of going forward. So what's interesting too is when I met you, you're at five different brokerages. You didn't have this blueprint in place, but you figured things out as you went. And I think one of the big takeaways from today is hopefully anybody who's listening benefits from the fact that you already figured out a blueprint that works. It's very accessible to a lot of people. I think we've proven that out over the course of time and Thrive's Growth and all of that stuff. So it's not that it can't be done, but this whole goal is to help anybody who's listening go further faster by understanding the importance of having a blueprint, what a good blueprint looks like, yep, and then we'll share what ours is and whether somebody wants to use that or not, that's totally up to you. Yeah. But you did figure it out. And for people that don't know this about you, like when you and I started working together, I remember that year, we weren't even all the way through the year. And I think you had already personally done 26, 27 transactions. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, uh, you're still doing a lot of personal transactions and your business is a pretty good size right now. Like how many transactions were you aiming to do for this year? And you were like six. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. But it was like, you had developed this blueprint where you had already accomplished a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today. Mm. And when we talk about, you know, like reaching the summit and what that looks like, you had already built this phenomenal business that was just kicking off loads of repeat and referral business to the point where you were doing more deals than you probably should have been doing. Yeah. Because you had built such a good business up to that point using the blueprint that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, 100%. And so obviously this has gotten honed in and more dialed over the years, mm-hmm. but this is stuff that was built from your personal experience, not theory. Oh yeah, it definitely wasn't theory. Yeah, it didn't, didn't read it anywhere, wasn't handed a PowerPoint or uh, you know a, a script of any kind. And so yeah, it was born out of step-by-step kind of figuring it out, along with the support of amazing people and along with support of an amazing wife <laughs> <laughs> that uh, was very patient. And so, so yes, there's a lot of fingerprints on this from various people that all deserve, you know, quite a bit of credit. But that being said, I think that one of the best benefits of having a blueprint, and then we're going to talk about ours so that Mm -hmm. people can actually start taking notes, is that it brings down anxiety. A good blueprint ought to result in more centeredness, more calmness, less anxiety, less questions about the future, less questions about what to do and what not to do. A good blueprint should answer all of those things up front. And in doing so, you should be moving to a better life, which is our vision statement, of course, is moving people to their better lives. Mm -hmm. And so I think that gets missed sometimes. A lot of times we focus on the business aspect or the metrics or the description or creating the blueprint, creating the visual. But in the end of the day, if we are unpacking what's the result or what are the implications of having a really great blueprint, Mm -hmm. that's at the top of the list, is that it ought to decrease anxiety and increase clarity in a way that should move you to better living. Yeah, one of the things you just made me think of is at various points in, in the career, 
and this is true of a lot of sales careers, not just real estate, but it's easy to get caught in the trap of momentary thinking and you start to mental mushroom yeah. where you assume the way it is today is the way it's always going to be. It's always going to be this way. Right. Where when you have this blueprint in place, it gives you clarity and you do realize when you're feeling that way in the moment, like, oh, it's not always going to be this way. Yeah. This is just a phase. It's just a phase. Yep. And once I do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to get out of this phase into a different phase and my life and my business is going to look very different. Yeah. And without a blueprint, to your point, you don't know because it doesn't exist. And so we're left to believe as human beings that whatever is happening today is the way it's always going to be. Yep. Particularly when it's you know hard and, and challenging. So let's keep talking about this. What does a good blueprint look like? Yep. And from a high level, and then we'll get more granular, a couple other things that we talked about was a good blueprint is a blueprint that is consistent and predictable. Yeah. Like it produces a predictable result over and over and over again. Yeah, 100%. It has to be market agnostic, mm-hmm. right? It has to be geographic agnostic. It has to be something that can be plugged into and played anywhere, really. Yeah. No matter what the market looks like, no matter what interest rates look like, no matter what the experience looks like, no matter what your background looks like as a new agent or as an experienced agent, for example. Yes. It has to be agnostic of all those things. And yeah, I think there's, if you want to jump into this, I think there's six components that have to be there. Well, let's hold off on that. We'll get into that in just a second. But on the consistent and predictable But I really want to do the six components. (laughs) Just wait. Just wait. We'll get to it. All right, fine. Where's the bourbon? (laughs) We do need a refill. Part of the consistency and predictability, and we'll go through this as we talk about our blueprint. This is why we're such a big fan of online leads Mm -hmm. because leads provide, and we've talked about leads a lot in previous episodes, but they provide a level of consistency and predictability that other marketing methods just don't provide. Yeah, Whether that's calling FISBOs and expireds or door knocking Mm -hmm. or networking or farming a neighborhood or mass mailers. They, as you've said before, they all work But the problem is, is they work inconsistently and unpredictably. Yeah. Where leads are very consistent, very predictable, typically a shorter timeframe to convert, right? So so that's part of it. Also a good blueprint. One other thing we talked about is, is it's widely accessible to a lot of different people. Like a good blueprint is one that, like at Thrive, while it's not easy to get hired at Thrive, if you're the caliber of person who does get hired, anybody we hire can follow through on this blueprint. Yeah, this is not a... It's not a complicated blueprint. <laughs> it's a pretty simple and straightforward. It's not easy, but it's pretty damn simple. Mm-hmm. I used a word or a phrase that I really like. It's experience agnostic. Yeah. Right. Whether you've been in real estate or not, whether you grew up in this market mm-hmm. or not. And we've shown this. We've shown you can take somebody who literally just moved here and knows nobody in the Denver metro area. Yeah. And they can still execute this and have a ton of success not two or three years down the road, but like in their first couple quarters in their first year, they can have a great year. Yeah. In fact, if they don't, they're typically let go. (laughs) Right. There's that. Because we know the blueprint is good. The blueprint's good. Last couple of things. Our blueprint is very simple. Mm -hmm. And I think any blueprint needs to be simple. Less is more when it comes to the blueprint. And you talked about, and I would agree with us, I think a good blueprint has like three to five phases. Mm -hmm. If you get much above that, it gets overly complicated, complex, you know, it starts to hurt your brain when you yeah. think about it, or it just, it just seems harder to accomplish. So, so a good blueprint, if you're crafting one for yourself, make sure it's very simple and has three to five phases. And then the last thing that I jotted down while you were talking about sort of how you develop the Thrive Blueprint over time is it has to be moldable mm-hmm. and easily individualized. Because we'll talk about our blueprint is a great high-level blueprint, but it's going to look very different for one person based on their goals and their picture of their better life, Mm -hmm. then what it's going to look like. They might spend more or less time in certain phases. Their summit may look different than 
somebody else's. So the template always stays the same, yep. but it's easily customized to fit the person who's executing the blueprint. Yeah, well said. Yeah, because everybody's picture of where they want to end up in this industry or in any sales industry for that matter is going to be different. Yeah. And in fact, you might start with one vision and that vision might change between yeah. now and It'll now. probably change. It'll probably change. You know, yeah. it's, it's supposed to. And so, yeah, the, to your point, the blueprint has to accommodate all of those things. And to go back to just the number of phases in the blueprint, the problem with having less than three, in other words, one or two. Basie, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, in case you were listening, yeah, that was for you. That, that was for you, bud. <laughs> the problem with that is, is that the blueprint is meant to be a long-term map. And so we may or may not have said this explicitly at the beginning, but the blueprint is not something that we create for a year or two. It's a minimum of five years. Ours is 10. Ours is, it, yeah, it's really crafted around 10. Or maybe if you're putting a range on it, like 8 to 15 years. Sure, yeah, 8, 12, 15, something like that. Yeah, or um, really 10. Yeah, it's not terminal at 10 by any means, but the blueprint is kind of mastered usually in a decade. Yep. And so if anyone's getting into real estate opportunistically or to sell a house or two, and kind of help pay for the family vacation. You don't need a blueprint. <laughs> don't don't bother. I will spit my burp out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and maybe I'm being a little too forward, but it, you know, like it's it's overkill. It's true. But if you're treating this like, no, man, I'm I'm in. Like I'm burning the bridges. I'm I'm going to make this work. I want to go into real estate, and I want to I want to do really well, and I want to write stories worth telling along the way, mm-hmm. and I want to impact other people, and I want to bring them with me, both my clients and my colleagues, and you know, create something that is worth talking about in the future. Then you absolutely need a blueprint, and that's a ten year thing, right? Because in order to have a large impact like that and actually change lives and change your own, it's going to take about a decade. Yeah. Okay. Now we can get into the six things. Yes. Let's do this. <laughs> All right. Kick us off here. Okay. So there's six things. If you have a pen, get that puppy out. These are the six pieces of the puzzle to create an awesome blueprint. Number one, we just talked about it. You have to have a time frame, mm-hmm. And that time frame needs to be half a decade or more, preferably more like a decade. So that's your first piece of the puzzle is having a time frame. Number two, is you want a few different phases within that. So obviously, if it's five years, maybe you only need two or three phases. If it's 10 years, you're going to need at least three phases. One of the reasons for that is because you get, well, we'll get into the details later, but one of the reasons for that is that if phases are too long, it just kind of feels like a slog. Yeah, And you just get quagmire, just, you know, quicksand. We'll get into that later. Number three, you got to have benchmarks. You have to know what phase are you at? And the only way to know that is to have some level of benchmarks, both numerical as well as subjective. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that. Number four, you got to have focus. You talked a little bit about it. It has to be simple. You don't want to get into tactics. We're not talking strategies. We're not talking about scripts or tools or software or lead sources or activities or inputs. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking very high level and theoretical. The business plan is where the rest of that will actually take place, be written down, and hopefully be acted on. Mm-hmm. So we want this to be highly focused or simple. And then number five, you have to have celebrations along the way. You have to be able to stop and kind of recognize where you are and celebrate that which you've accomplished. Even if it's not as much as you thought you were going to accomplish. Celebrations, recognition of yourself is a really big deal. And then six, the last one, is you got to know what the threats are. There are significant threats where there ought to be significant threats that are delineated at each phase of your blueprint. So those are the six pieces of the puzzle, time frame, phases, benchmarks, focus or simplicity, celebrations, and threats. Yep, yep. And so let's go back and talk about those, but let's talk about them within the context of our blueprint. 
which has three phases. It does, yep. yep. We refer to it as the RISE program. Mm-hmm. And RISE is an acronym that stands for Relentlessly in Search of Excellence. There you go. And we love the mountain climbing analogy. Yeah. Right. And it's funny how you can take each of these six things and you could apply them to a mountain climb just as easily as you could apply them to a real estate career over the next 10 years. Yeah, 100%. And, it, you know, it's we live in Denver or in Colorado. And so, obviously, the most beautiful, majestic mountains in the country are about 45 minutes from where Rob and I sit right now. And so they're, they're constantly beckoning and calling and you see them no matter where you are in the city. So yeah, ours is centered around that. And so we have the first phase of our blueprint is called base camp. And the base camp is in our world between zero and 75 clients. Right, roughly. Roughly. Because it could be easily individualized based on you know, where you're trying to end up at the summit. Exactly, yeah. And not only can it be individualized, but to your point, it can be morphed because, to be blunt, we're not talking about zero to 75 transactions. Oh, you did. You said this before we jumped on here, and I'm like, that's so good. We have to talk about that. Yeah, a transaction is not necessarily equivalent to a client. No, and unfortunately, it's not. It really isn't. And statistics, even from National Association of Realtors, no matter what you think about them, Um, statistics would back that up in a a pretty big way. Transactions are a check, which sometimes we don't even deserve, to be honest. Not we thrive, but the industry, right? And the reason I say that is because you didn't do the advisory job that was supposed to have been done in order to actually obtain, build, and have a client. You did a transaction, you got paid. It's actually kind of gross when that happens. And so that's something that is a pretty big distinction. When we're talking about client, we're talking about robust advisory services delivered in a professional, consistent manner over the entire life cycle, both before you knew the client, during the transaction, and then after, yeah, permanently. Yeah, and adding so much value that the next time they go to do a real estate transaction, it's not even a question that they're going to come back to you. Correct. That's what we would call a client. That's what a client is. Clients are people that wake up and go, Oh, yeah, I would never do anything in real estate without Kyle Peterson. Right. That's his client because they're thinking, yeah, I just don't, I don't even think about real estate without Kyle. And so that's what we're talking about, zero to 75. And the reason that that's malleable is because some people, that was saying earlier, some people are going to create 75 clients with 75 transactions. Some people are going to create 50 clients with 75 transactions. And some people are going to create even less. Some people are going to have 25 clients with 75 transactions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And just the relatability, the professionalism, the delivery of the services, and the consistency in which that took place is all subjective Mm -hmm. from one advisor to another. We call agents advisors. But in general, right, in, in terms of just a roadmap, are we going north, south, east, or west? We're going to say zero to 75 clients, somewhere in that range, give or take 10, 15 is directionally correct, Yep. right? That's directionally correct. We call that the build your data bank phase. Totally different episode that we'll have to get into, but there is a massive difference between data bank and database. Most people have databases. We're building data banks. Different episode. <laughs> we can't get sidetracked. So that's Basecamp. The threat, let's talk about that really quick. The threat in Basecamp is us thinking, as advisors or as agents, is us thinking, that we're further along than we actually might be, right? And so all of a sudden you get to the point where you go, yeah, I think I'm done with these basics, these basic tactics, these basic theories, these basic classes, these basic trainings, role play, engaging leads, doing repeated follow-up, 
thank you notes, all of the kind of the basics that actually create longevity in business. The danger is we start thinking we're further along than we actually are. A great analogy for this, by the way, is, well, maybe a little moment of vulnerability. Back in the day when I was dating, I might have thought I was a little further along than I might have actually been. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but you learn real quick that, uh, no, you're not that far along. And so... uh, Dude, you're on fire today. <laughs> so good. Yeah, so that's the danger, though, in base camp is you think you're above tree line and you trick yourself into thinking that you're further along than you are. And that can backfire in a really big way because the basics of what got you there need to continue in order to propel you into the next phase. And when that is pulled back too soon, too early, you end up tripping over yourself and having ultimately to rewind and go back down the mountain and start again, which can be a little disheartening. And so that's the biggest threat, I think, in the base camp is, in our world, is thinking you're further along than you are. Yeah, well said. And what that normally looks like in our experience is when people start dialing back leads too soon, when they start focusing more on economics on each transaction they're doing rather than focusing on just continuing to fast stack that data bank. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and it's, yeah, it's hard to see because you're right. It ends up being an unnecessary detour that takes up a lot of extra time and a lot of extra emotional energy that they have to expend to ultimately reach whatever their summit is. Right? And I 100%. think a lot of times it's a, it's a function of ego where success sometimes goes to our heads mm-hmm. and we get a little full of ourselves and that's why we start thinking we're full further along than we are. Mm-hmm. Or it's getting caught in very short-term, immature kind of thinking. Yeah. Right, where we settle for what we want right now more than what we ultimately want five to 10 years from now. Yeah, ultimately, you kind of, in a way, you lose sight of the blueprint. Yeah. <laughs> and you're thinking that what you've achieved in base camp is the blueprint, and it's not. It's only a part of the blueprint. And so making sure that the foundation of your entire career is super solid, like overbuilding a foundation. I used to live in um, Baker. And it's a neighborhood, if you're listening to this from outside of Colorado, it's a neighborhood that was built in the 1800s. Everything's Victorian. And back then, they didn't have engineering calculations. They didn't have the math that we have today. They didn't, have, they didn't know what we know today about building homes. And so to compensate, they overbuilt foundations. So the house that I lived in was built in 1887. It's a Victorian home. And when I bought it, I remember the inspector as well as my engineer said, oh my God, like, <laughs> This thing is built like a freaking tank. Like it's, it's, this house is going to be here for another 200 years. And it was because they overbuilt the foundation. But no one's ever griped about a house with an overbuilt foundation, yeah, right? right? It's actually something to brag about. It's something to be proud of. It's yeah. something to go, hell yeah, like this house is, you know, I could have built, you know, whatever, two more levels up and out if we wanted to because the foundation was so unbelievably strong and immovable and thick and robust. Yep. That's this, what we want in business. So going back to, this is what you had created. Nobody's griped about like, oh, I have too many repeats and referrals and I can't keep up with them all. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> like what a great problem to have because you can, you can do what you did, which is start referring those out to other people you work with. Totally. Right? Yeah, it was great. And you can get a referral fee for sure. that. It's super teed up. Like who wouldn't want that? Yeah, yeah, right? 100%. It's fantastic. Talk about phase two. So base camp is one. And yeah. then you move into the ascent phase. The ascent phase, yeah. And so that's our phase two. So in our mountain climbing analogy, that would be above treeline. The view becomes better. You're above treeline. You actually get to see the sky and the sun, and, and it's, it's kind of cool. And so when you think about the ascent, you're thinking about going vertical, really. This is where, yes, it's beautiful, 
And at the same time, you also want to be at your absolute best because you're between two phases at this point. You've got one foot in base camp and maybe kind of trending the other foot towards the summit, which we'll talk about next. But the ascent program, or the ascent phase rather, is generally speaking, again, generally speaking, somewhere between about 75 and 150 clients. One thing of note here that is interesting, this wasn't created and these metrics weren't created just out of thin air. We didn't just write these down and go, yeah, this sounds good. According, again, to the National Association of Realtors, and most municipalities would back this up, you know, with their own data, MLSs. And that is that in general, in general, over the past roughly 30, 40 years, you could expect 10% of everyone you know, 10% of everyone you know to move in any given year. Now, huge asterisk on that because over the last two years, this podcast is being recorded in, you know, January 2024. So in 2023 and 2022, that was actually a lot less. It was more like 7%, not 10%. But for easy math, let's just run with 10% for this. So if you think about that, you have somewhere between 75 and 150 clients. Pretty simple math. You get somewhere between about 7 and 15 repeats coming back to you. That does not include referrals. That's just repeats. Yep. So let's take it on the low end of the spectrum and say, yeah, so I have 75 clients. Great. 10% of them are going to repeat. Well, 10% of them are going to repeat, which means seven and a half. So let's go with seven, right? So seven people are going to repeat. However, when people repeat, what do they do? They typically do, they sell the home they're living in and then they buy another one. So you're getting two ends to the, two yeah. sides to the transaction. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of home sellers that then say, ah, I'm just homeless now. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> So, so they, they sell. And Vasey, they, did you get that? And they, <laughs> they sell and then they buy. Now, are they going to move out of state and buy somewhere else? Sure. Yeah, maybe. Perhaps. But even yep. then, you're going to get a referral fee if you're doing the, the business right. Yep. So let's just keep it simple and say you've got seven clients who are now coming back to you to buy and sell. So that's, it's actually 14 actual sides. It's going to be roughly 14. Yep. If that's 15 clients, that's roughly 30 sides. Exactly. Yeah. And at most brokerages, including ours, repeats and referrals and sphere and database business has an advantaged economic model, right? Yeah. Yep. And so when you think about that and you go, wait, do the math in your municipality or in your MLS. And if you're listening to this here in Denver, do the math and say, okay, so the average price point is 620000 and I sell 15 homes at roughly 2.5, And then do the math on, on the split. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I can totally not just survive, but actually do well. Yeah. If you just run through those numbers, it's roughly $15,500 per side. There you go. You know, so if you're doing 30 sides, you know, what is that? You're close to 500 grand a year. Yeah. And so all of a sudden it, it adds up and you go, okay, now we've got what we would call a legitimate business, right? <laughs> um, and so, so that's, that's the fun part about this is that when you go from base camp to ascent, if done properly, if you don't jump the gun and go too soon, you're really moving into a more predictable business that you can look at and go, well, I've got 150 people or 75, somewhere in that range. In my data bank, not database, data mm-hmm. bank. And these are clients. These are people that think I wouldn't do anything in real estate without filling your name. When you're there, the world looks very different. And it's a very malleable, durable business that is sustainable into the future, profitable and sustainable, as we like to call it. And so So we look at that and that's something to celebrate. So that's absolutely a celebration point when you're there. Now, is there a clear marker like on the 15th transaction I'm there or on the X date I'm there? No, no, there's not. This is the subjectivity of a blueprint. No, but this is also, so I don't think we said this. 
you're typically, again, this is very individualized to the person that is looking at how do I build my better life and what does that look like and how many transactions do I need to make the money that I want to make to live the kind of life that I want to live. And there's a lot that goes into that. But we would say you're done with Basecamp when you've built about half of the size of the data bank that you need to have to kick off the amount of repeat and referral business you want to have yeah. year in and year out. Well said. Right. So like zero to 75 clients, that 75 number, that might be 50 or 60 for somebody. It might be 100 to 120 mm-hmm. for somebody else. Yep. Right. But once you're about halfway there, what you start to notice is that based off of what you've already built, you're starting to experience a more and more significant amount of repeat business yep. and referral business so that you can start turning the dimmer switch down on your leads. And you can start simultaneously seeing the dimmer switch go up on that repeat and referral business. So now you're you're kind of living in two worlds where you're still taking on new clients, you're seeking new clients mm-hmm. aggressively, but not as aggressively as you were in the first phase where now you start to shift your focus away from just client acquisition, relationship acquisition, to now nurturing what you've already built and what you're continuing to build. Because, yeah, well the, said. And I know you were going here next. The danger here is thinking that repeats and referrals are automatic. Yeah. Like just because they use me before, they're going to use me again. And to go back to some of those NAR statistics, it's somewhere in like 87 to 89% of people that are surveyed by NAR say once the transaction is closed, they would absolutely use their agent again. Mm -hmm. But then in reality, when they track that person does a transaction again, only about 7 to 11% of them actually use the agent again. So it's 80% delta. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a massive difference. And the 7 to 11% is like, depending on whether it's a buyer or a seller. Right. Right. Like, let's just call it 10%. Close to 90% of people say they're going to use their agent again. 10% of them actually do. Actually do. And that's not even all... People not saying what they mean or meaning what they say. It's maybe they have every intention of that, but that agent didn't do a great job of continuing to win that relationship mm-hmm. and earn that relationship. And in the meantime, their best friend got into real estate. Their brother got into real estate. Their son or their daughter got into real estate. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden with new information comes new decisions. And so it's like, just because that transaction is done doesn't mean that you don't have to continue to fight for that on an ongoing basis. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, the danger of thinking repeats and referrals are automatic is is very real because I think that another way to say it is in the ascent program or in the ascent phase, it's easy to become reactive. It's easy to kind of wake up in the morning and go, well, unless anything is inbound, then I don't really have anything to do. And one of the reasons it's easy to do that is because in base camp, it's all inbound. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And so you kind of, I hate to say it, but you, one of the, additional threats is you get lulled to sleep thinking that this is just the way real estate works. I wake up in the morning and my phone rings and I respond, I engage out of inbound traffic. But in the Ascent program, that's not it at all. And in fact, we have to figure out ways, creative and very value add ways to engage our clients. It's one thing to put people on the, (laughs) I always make fun of this, one thing to send people the Broncos schedule and, you know, seedlings in the spring for their flower bed. I mean, yeah, I've got agents in my neighborhood that send me seedlings. I'm like, put them in a line on my counter and snort them. (laughs) What what are we doing? What are we doing as an industry? That's a whole nother episode. Uh, Versus versus, the shit that comes out of your mouth. (laughs) You are a national treasure. Versus actually engaging in value-add, robust advisory services for clients even after they close, and especially after they close. 
That is fighting against thinking repeats and referrals are automatic. That's yeah. actually building your reputation as not just a realtor, but actually as an advisor. Yeah, um, things like, I know things that you've done over the years are things like regular equity check-ins. 100%. Yeah. Regular annual real estate reviews where you're showing people and educating people on what's going on in the market, what's going on with their home. Yes. And just letting them know what their options are. Yeah, 100%. How to leverage a HELOC, how to remodel your kitchen with no money down. All the things that you could potentially do to improve someone's life, even when, and especially when, there's nothing in it for you. Yes. That's actually the, the most powerful parts yep. is when someone's not buying and selling and you're showing somebody how to save money, make money, improve their home, improve their life, leverage their home, whatever it is. Everybody on the podcast would probably be shocked about how little people actually know about real estate. Yeah. yeah other, we, other than shiplap. <laughs> when, <laughs> Thanks to Chip and Joanna Gaines. Right. When you're in it all the time, you start to take for granted, yeah, just the level of ignorance that's out there. Yeah. And then I'm not saying ignorance as an indictment. It's just most people, they don't know what they don't know and they're not studying real estate on a day-in-day-out basis. They're not supposed to. That's right. So they probably don't know how much equity they have in their home. They don't know what comps are at any given moment in time. They don't know what it takes to get into a short-term rental or a long-term rental and how much it would cost to furnish that and what sort of profit they could expect to make. Yeah. They, don't, they don't know how to leverage equity they have in their home to access things like that. And so if you can just educate them and show them things that they're currently not seeing, they're going to be forever indebted to you because as John Maxwell says, you don't really have a man or woman by the heart until you help mm. them solve a significant problem in their life. That's so good. Yeah, that's the essence of the Ascent program. Yeah. Literally. And helping them get into the house or sell the house was just the beginning of it. That's huge. Yeah, well, really well said. And then talk about the last phase is the summit. Yeah. So the summit in our world is roughly, give or take some percentage points, but roughly 150 clients. Again, not 150 transactions, but 150 clients. Closed sales that think of you as their real estate advisor for life. So you get into 150 plus and using that same math of 10% turnover, you've got 15 or more people coming back to you doing at least one transaction and, and usually two. So, you know, you're in the 30 transaction per year phase. Let's at, just say at that point. for the sake of being conservative, you know, 25 to 30. 25 to 30. Yeah. yeah somewhere, somewhere in that range. And those numbers that I shared with you, I mean, those are today's dollars. Yes. If people are doing repeats and referrals with you five years down the road, then based on historical data, it would be safe to assume that the average price of a home in Denver is a lot more five years from now than it is right now today. Totally. But even in today's dollars, 25 to 30 sides, yep. transactions, right? We're talking 15 clients, 25 to 30 transactions. That will end up netting that person, quick math in my head, 375 to 500 grand yeah. in net commissions over the course of a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and we look at it in our market. I think you and I did that research, uh, it was probably about a year ago. But I think the median income was 75, 80, something like 76, that. 76,000. 76,000? Yeah. Yeah, so that we look at it, and again, not being subjective or just making stuff up. If you're listening to this from Silicon Valley, you're thinking, I'm definitely homeless if I'm only making 500 grand a year, <laughs> right? So adjust for your market, of course. I'd have to live in my Tesla if that's all I made. <laughs> <laughs> have to move in with Brett if you're listening to this I might be on your way <laughs> um, but yeah the point is is you you know you adjust it for your market and in our market you know if you're making half a million dollars a year you'd be hard pressed to convince me that you're not moving to your better life at least financially uh, there's of course other segments of life that don't get impacted by 
finances uh, like yeah. relationships and you know recreation and spirituality and everything else but financially that's pretty damn good yeah and if we could talk about this for a second this is probably a good place to insert yep. the summit we're talking about the summit in the context of your relational data bank mm-hmm. right and in terms of clients and transactions but what I don't want people to miss is that's not the only thing that we use to determine our definition of success at Thrive. No. And everybody that's listening to this needs to sit down with a pen and paper and figure out what is my personal definition of success? What does that look like? And so certainly there's a financial component to that. Yep. Because if you talk to anyone at Thrive and you talk to them about their picture of their better life, while all of them are going to have a distinctly unique picture we've identified before, there's really like five or six basic components to people's pictures, yeah. right? It's, it typically includes generosity or giving back in some way, both financially and time, yep. right? To causes or people that they care about. It typically includes real estate investments and a portfolio of some sort that produces passive income. Yep. It includes increased time with family, friends, travel, it usually includes some sort of lifestyle options mm-hmm. that they don't currently have that they want to have in the future. Pers- so personal growth. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, physical health, personal growth, mm-hmm. spiritual growth, right? All the above. Yeah. There's all these different components. And so as you look at those, a lot of them don't revolve around money, but they do take capital. Yeah. Right. Well said. Like yeah. if you do a great job making income taking your disposable income, investing it wisely to create passive income, over time, what you end up doing is, it's not that you're just making more and more money. I think that's a shallow, hollow, Mm -hmm. empty story that's not really worth telling. Mm -hmm. But what you do end up doing is you do end up buying your time back. Yeah. Right? Now you've created leverage where not only have you bought your time back, but you've also created more resources that you can give away to things that you care the most about. Yeah. Right? And now you can start living a life of calling Mm -hmm. and purpose rather than... What do I have to do to hit my goals? What do I have to do to meet my financial obligations? Yeah. Right? Because it's easy. We've all been in those phases in life where it's like, I have to go to work because... Got to pay the bills or, right. or whatever. Yeah. Fill exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so we don't mean to make the summit all about finances, but there certainly is a, a monumental financial component that unlocks a lot of the other pieces to the better life puzzle, whatever that looks like for you. It's a great. Yeah. Great analogy is the better life puzzle. It's really more options at the end of the day. Yep. Options of how you spend your time, who you spend it with, when you spend it, where you spend it. It's really just options at the end of the day. And so dollars being the end goal is boring, but the end goal being options that then gets leveraged for having a greater impact on you, your family, and the world. That's a story worth telling. Yeah. And so within the summit, there's a danger. And it's a pretty big danger. <laughs> and it's called false summits. <laughs> and so if you're not from Colorado or you're not, you know, don't understand what false summits are, false summits are when you're when you're hiking a mountain out here, typically what we call 14ers, because they're 14,000 feet. They're treacherous, they're hard, they're difficult, they're dangerous, um, they take forever. On every 14 that I've climbed, I think I've done 26 out of the 52 or 54. At some point on the 14er, I always ask the same question. Why the beep did I do this? <laughs> what am I doing? Like, oh my God, like the, I'm in pain. I'm frustrated. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm disillusioned. I, like, what the, What am I doing? Yep. And so what ends and up it, happening? And you're desperately looking for the summit. I'm des- exactly. Yeah. And you're like, how? Am I almost there? Yeah. Am I almost there? Like, how longer? Yeah. And so we're looking for the summit and you see what appears to be the summit because it's kind of an optical illusion out here. Like the actual summit, albeit way higher, is further away and therefore you can't see it. And yeah. so 
So you usually have two or three false summits on the way to the actual summit. Always. Yeah, two, two or three false summits where you look at it and go, oh God, that's got to be it. And then when you get there, you realize it's not it. And then you think it's the next one and that's not it either. And, and you keep going. So false summits are a pretty big deal because in the ascent program, you can trick yourself into thinking, I'm there. This is it. I'm, I'm at the summit. And you're not. And so false summits are a pretty big threat in that environment. The other thing that happens in the summit is that at that point, you're pretty reliant on repeat and referral business. However, we just saw it. When the market slows down because of fill-in-the-blank, because of whatever, because of 8.5% interest rates. Yeah, when rates were 3% a year before that. Yeah, when the market slows down significantly, the summit (laughs) is a stagnant place. And so oftentimes the false summit is not what you thought the summit was. It's that, no, you really are at the summit, but you're there and nothing's happening. And so you need to go climb yet another mountain Yeah, and maybe, maybe go to a different peak and go down and then come back up. There's two mountains out here in, in Colorado called Tories and Gray. And there's a saddle in between that drops about 500 feet. So once you have summited one, you can quickly summit the other. You don't have to go 14,000 feet all the way back down which is less than that because of the base camp, but whatever. You can just do the 500-foot saddle. But you do need to go back down. You do need to go back down, which yep. sucks because you're at the top and you're like, seriously, <laughs> I got to go back down and then climb yet again. Yep. And the answer is, yes, you absolutely do. And it's almost harder. Like if I'm thinking through a sales career, it's sometimes harder for salespeople to backtrack because now you're experiencing fear of the known because you know how much it sucks because you've already been there. <laughs> right. Versus when you're new, sometimes you don't know any better. Right. Right. And you just got like head down, blinders on. And typically at the beginning of the career, you have more energy and excitement that carries you through some of the crap. Yeah. But then you get to a point where you don't have to do all the things that you used to do. Yeah. But then when the market shifts and you realize like, oh crap, I'm not actually at the summit. This was a false summit I've been sitting on the whole time. And now you have to go back to doing some of those activities you haven't had to do in a while. Yeah. It can feel worse because you know it sucks and it, it's humbling and you're feeling like I shouldn't have to be doing this, but yet here you are. And that's what the business requires of you to hit the goals. hundred percent. So you either have to change your goal, yep. which you probably don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> or you have to change your approach and you have to humble yourself and go back to doing things that maybe you haven't had to do in a while. Yeah, totally. I mean, in order to get to the summit, you do have to do a lot of output, right? You got to do a lot of work. You got to do a lot of consistent engagement of tactics and strategies and do things that other people don't want to do in order to get there. And so the type of person who's able to do that and who's able to achieve that typically does not like to go down, right? Mm -hmm. You're used to, at that point, doing better every year, gaining more traction every year, making more money every year, getting more options and more freedom every year. You're moving in that direction all the time. The graph is always from the bottom left to the upper right, right? And that's true of sports. That's true of success. That's true of any industry. You want to be growing up and to the right. We all do. And so in those moments where we can't or it just doesn't happen and we start to slide back down, there's a lot of mental angst that goes along with that. There's a lot of disillusionment. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance that happens. You start questioning who you are and what you're made of and why is this happening to me? And maybe I'm a fool and gosh, I thought I was better than this. And really, do I have to go back down the ladder and start engaging in some of these other activities when I thought I was beyond that? I thought I was more mature than that. I thought I was on the higher up. Think of like a W-2 role. It's pretty simple. When people are in a W-2 role, you achieve a certain position and the next year, you're trying to achieve the next higher position. 
But if you get a demotion, <laughs> it's like, what? I mean, you're probably looking for a different career or at least a different company. Correct. If yep. you get demoted after you've done a really, really great job, that would cause a lot of cognitive dissonance for sure. And so, so that's the same thing. But you're a 1099 and sometimes you go down. And that just happens sometimes outside of your own control, external factors, market factors, whatever it is. But that is the big danger of Summit. Cool. Can I bring us home? Yeah, please do. Okay. So I think there's been a lot of practical stuff in here, but if we're taking what we talked about and I'm thinking of some key bullet points, one is take where you're at right now. And as Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind, Mm. right? So have you sat down recently and identified what is my summit? Mm. Whether that's a level of income or whether that's a level of transactions or what have you, you got to know what the end is. Second thing, identify where you're at and be honest about where you're at. And then actually turn that into a short-term focus. So what are the things I need to be doing right now? What does my business need from me that I and I alone can do to get through the phase that you're in right now so you can graduate to the next phase? And then the last thing I'll leave you with is classic quote by Jerry Rice, I will do today what others won't so I can have tomorrow what others can't. And so just ask yourself, whatever phase you happen to be in, wherever you happen to be, what are the things that you can be doing today that average people don't want to do that are going to allow you to have or do or be the kind of things that average people won't be able to have or do or be five to 10 years from now? Yeah, love that. Yeah, and take the six components, right, of the blueprint. Jot those down and you know, start putting some numbers to them, start putting some descriptions to them. You'll need both an Excel spreadsheet and a Word document in order to actually have an effective blueprint. But hopefully this has been informative, empowering. Um, if you're listening to this and you're at Thrive, now you know. <laughs> it's a peek behind the curtain as to what our blueprint is. If you're not at Thrive and you're thinking about doing a blueprint, by all means, steal ours, take it, borrow it, morph it, change yeah. it into whatever you, know, whatever you want it to be. Our, our mission right. and vision, of course, is moving people to their better life, whether... They're at our family of Thrive or outside. Yeah. Yeah. This template is exactly, it's a template. It's not meaningful until you take it and make it yours and you personalize it. 100%. Thanks for listening. Basie, we picked on you a lot today, but we love you, bud. That's why we pick on you. (laughs) Right on. Uh, Cheers, everybody. And thanks. Thanks.